Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Moby. And I'm Leland Steele. Well, listener, we are happy to announce that the dumpster tire fire that is 2021 is almost over. Ah, Isn't that right, Leland? Hooray! (laughs) It started with so much hope. You know, vaccines were coming in. It was supposed to be, you know, return to somewhat normal. And um, now Leland and I are recording this locked in a five foot by three foot cage um, as we quarantine from alpha beta variant alpha beta variant optimus prime megatron <laughs> triple f triple nine variant <laughs> rollout <laughs> oh, that's good man oh geez that's it's, good yeah this this year sucked this year sucked as much as 2020 sucked really it did i i honestly think in some ways it sucked even more like 2020 at least didn't start with the pandemic for a few months we had some relative normalcy. Um, and then for like a variety of reasons, 2021 just uh, just blew it as it went on. But listener, we are here, loyal as always, to deliver the uh, end of year rundown. Very special. We're doing all three of our segments today. We almost, almost always usually just do two. But, uh, I'm excited for it. And I see Leland is Drinking a canned beverage. Mm-hmm. As usual in my energy drink. But what is actually just occurring to me is we technically don't have all of our segments because there's no condescending controversy in this episode. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, well, what were we going to argue? Is 2021 terrible or worst? Which, yeah, right? <laughs> Which was worse, yeah. 2020 or 2021? Honestly, 2021 had a lot of really, really, really high highlights for me, so... That's put into perspective for like personally, anyways, because obviously, like, I mean, I I got to finally meet Emma face to face in 2021, and a lot of my reflection upon the year is going to be centered around that and the time we spent together and the activities that we uh, that we did together. You know, the non sexy activities that we did together. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, that's that's awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because 2021, you and I both had distance relationships to varying degrees of success, <laughs> meaning yours was successful, right, mine right. was not, but <laughs> mine did actually involve a gaming component that I'm going to bring up as well. So, you know, cling on to the, the good memories that you have. And fortunately, I got to meet Emma. She's really cool. And I'm glad you two have had all these experiences that we're going to uh, we're going to talk about. Yeah, well, listeners, listeners met her too. She was uh, one of our guest co-hosts we had a few episodes ago. Actually, mm-hmm. I think that was in like July or August. I forget which episode number it was, but man, that's like it was half a year ago. It 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 really was. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how time flies. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we move on and. Uh, yeah, I uh, I think we should just banter it up to, to start. Okay, I only have one, so why don't you start? Yeah, I've got two, so we'll uh, we'll do the sandwich method here. Okay, the one the, the one thing I got to throw out there, Leland, have you seen the Cobra Kai season four trailer, the recent one that came out a few days ago? I have not. Oh my goodness, so good, so good. So it basically just focuses on the team up. So obviously, um, Johnny and Daniel are teaming up um so it goes through like a bit of johnny's bs about you know an eagle doesn't like peck its swoops and shit like that like (laughs) he's just making this stuff up but what's cool is you see like 
the two senseis, Daniel and Johnny, separate from the kids, are trying to teach each other their ideology. And you can see it's not going too well, but it's going to be hella interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, you also see a lot and hear a lot from Terry Silver. Now, Terry Silver was one of the two biggest parts of Cobra Kai not yet in the show. He was Kreese's former partner, um, I believe, in Karate Kid 3. And uh, kind of a rich guy, but also a karate enthusiast. Um, he was going to originally, I think, make Cobra Kai a franchise and spread it all around. I actually haven't seen Cobra Kai 3. I own it, but I haven't seen it yet, which is criminal. So that's something I'm going to try to get done. Karate, sure, karate Kid 3. The, the drop. Yeah. So, but it looks like, like, it looks like all the actors are on point. They're, they're super um, interested in, in, uh, in game. What's interesting, you see a flash to the people that run the Valley Karate Tournament, and they like, there's something, they're very nervous, and they're choosing to vote in a monumental change to the tournament, but it doesn't explain what that is. I don't know if that means like you're allowed to do dirtier moves or something, hmm. but there's something where like, they like, like scarily vote, very anxiously vote for a change, and this one guy is like, my God, we've done it. It's like, done what? What have you changed? <laughs> well, that's strange because we there was like a there's a similar uh, kind of scene with Johnny right when they were all kind of deciding to let him compete with his gym right with the Cobra Kai name. Maybe they're doing something similar with Crease, and like Crease yeah. is like strong arm them right, and that's where they're like, uh, "Yes, yes, please don't hurt me, yes," kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that that's true. So it's it's interesting to see where they go, but it, it looks like the whole uh, season is about the two sides training and then fighting it out at this tournament, which just sounds epic, just sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm excited for it, absolutely. I mean, it's always like uh, Johnny and, and Daniel have been like the yin and yang of each other, right? Like they they can fit together, but even though they're opposites... Well, uh, I also recently saw a new trailer, and I was so shocked uh, that Sonic 2, the second Sonic the Hedgehog movie, is coming out in April of 2022. I just... Yeah. It was like, the trailer was like a YouTube ad for me, like, yesterday, I think it was, I saw it. And I was like, flabbergasted at what? I, have, I haven't even seen the first one, and there's already the sequel coming. Like, it feels like it, the first Sonic just fucking released. Yeah, it's, um... I feel the same way. When that came up in my feed, I was like, wait, there's another Sonic movie? Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's got Tails and Knuckles, which is really cool. Knuckles voiced by Idris Elba, which is epic and also terrifying. <laughs> it's just like, what a voice, man. What an actor to, to put into Knuckles. But um, looks like Jim Carrey's back as Robotnik, really engaged, having a lot of fun with the role. Mm -hmm. I I don't know it. I haven't seen the first one. Have you seen it? No, no. Uh, I mean, I've heard only good things about it. Like people, are, it's like it seems like it's one of those movies where people are like, "Wow, I can't believe it was as good as it was." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the Tea Head podcast without us wanting to talk about something neither of us have ever seen <laughs> or experienced. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. how we roll, baby. But I mean, like, I think. Just judging from the trailer, I mean, obviously it's a trailer. You can only take so much uh, from it, but 
It's like you. It, it doesn't feel like you have to even have seen the first one to enjoy this one. I mean, yeah, okay, something happened with Robotnik and he's back. So obviously, he, like he even like went away or probably shot into space, like Doctor Evil style or something. I don't know. At the end of the first one, and uh, is back now, like looking more and more like Robotnik uh, from the the video games. But I don't know. I was just I was just so shocked at the turnaround, and it's like, is this gonna be? If they continue to see success, are we going to have Sonic 9 coming out in seven more years, right? Like in 2029, will the ninth Sonic <laughs> movie like Fast and the Furious every year, one after the other? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, at this rate, you you can't not think so. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, their ability to produce a sequel this quickly, you hope it's going to be good. You hope it's going to, I mean, just the problem with these crunch development times is often it doesn't work out. Yeah, I don't I don't know how much, I mean, who knows how much crunch there really was, or even if that is, like, maybe they've. it's just down to where, especially now that they've nailed the look of Sonic, right? I mean, obviously everyone is familiar with the little, the faux pas that the studio made right at the beginning, because the original Sonic was supposed to come out in... Um, I think it was uh, November 2019. They had to redo Sonic, and it was push it to Feb of 2020, so the beginning of this year. Right. I mean, he, Sonic looks great. Knuckles looks great. Tails looks great. The only one, the only person that doesn't look great is James Marsden. He's looking old as hell. <laughs> he looks. I very noticed old that. In that trailer. Oh my goodness. He's beast. <laughs> he does. I mean, it doesn't help that he's in a rowboat and he's like, Sonic, do you like to fish? <laughs> We're fishing together. It's like. You were Cyclops. You I were know. Cool Honestly, it was it was like all of a sudden he just looks old. Like something happened. I don't like. He, he's like <laughs> standing know. on the age cliff, and he just finally got pushed off. I don't. I don't know what happened. I, I think like he headed into his fortieth birthday and woke up sixty. I mean, <laughs> I mean, hey, don't get me wrong. I would love to look at like James Marsden when I'm as old as he is. Like he's a good looking man, and he's still a good looking man. But he just does not look as young as he even did in the first movie, I feel like. No. No. That, 2021's given that man some mileage. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I don't know how, but that man's seen some shit this year. <laughs> seen some shit. I think they made the first Sonic movie, I think I was looking at it, was like 60 or $70 million budget. And it, it brought in like upwards of $300 million. So it was clearly financially successful and that's including the extra five that they five million they spent to fix sonic's look in which yeah i read they did in about five months and apparently with no overtime it was very clearly stipulated no overtime so i don't know i'll watch them i mean i think it'd be cool to watch them back to back maybe yeah and i I join you in on that as well like um you and i need to watch some more movies together yeah, um, as for long sure. As we're double, double, triple, quad vaxxed or whatever. Make it safe to watch movies together. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we could do a whole Sonic the Hedgehog bonus episode, a double feature bonus episode. That you know what? Honestly, that would be great because I have some good memories of Sonic as a kid mm-hmm. that I'd like to share. Yeah, it it was. I'm not gonna say a huge part of my childhood, but it was definitely a part of my childhood when it came to gaming. Um, and I have some good good memories from it. Um, my second and last banter is, uh, and we're going to include this in the show notes. I just want the listener to, uh, look up the Star Wars Eclipse trailer. Star Wars Eclipse is some sort of video game. They don't really release too much out of it. It kind of looks like it looks, 
like it's an open world game where you can pick one of many different kind of characters, classes, um, things like that. And I believe it takes place during the time of what's called the High Republic. So when the Old Republic was at its best um, in Star Wars. And it just, uh, like, it looks really cool. It's a cinematic trailer. So I think it's all cinematics, but the cinematics are great. And it looks like it's very different than the other kind of Star Warses. Uh, like the music in it, there's a bunch of like alien drummers just drumming and that's the music. And it's just, it's, you know, not the whole orchestral da, 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 da thing. It just looks darker, grittier and really cool. So I just wanted to to share that. I, I don't know if you've seen it perchance. No, I've never even, I have, this is the first time even hearing of it. Yeah, Star Wars, Star Wars Eclipse. So we'll see what it's like, but I don't know. I found it intriguing enough that I figured we would share. Hmm, cool. I'm ex- I, I'm, I'll look into that. I mean, I played um, Fallen Order, which uh, which I liked. Had a, you know, you you did you got to play a Jedi, which w- was cool. And um, Vader was in it. He did appear, which was also cool. Uh, yeah, basically though, like every time he shows up, you got to run from him because there's no way you can fight him. So it was, (laughs) it it was kind of cool how they perpetuated the mystique of Vader in that era, right? Like he's the biggest, baddest motherfucker out there, right? Maybe, you know, short of the emperor, I suppose, but like his name meant something and it has some gravitas to it. And you, you should be fearful of if Vader wants you. You should be scared because you should be very, very scared. And I think that helped yeah. perpetuate that. But I, I have, so this is, so the old Republic or the, the high Republic, you said, so is that the same t- time period as KOTOR, like Knights of the Old Republic? Is that, or is that totally uh, different related? Like, I, I have no idea. I didn't play any of those games. I, I don't know. This, this is a part of Star Wars I know very little about, which is kind of the old Republic, high Republic time. Um, I was just basically reading the comment sections and there was a lot of excitement saying like, this is the time frame to do one of these games. And, you know, this looks really good. I mean, it has some of like the trade federation ships from uh, Phantom Menace. So, you know, it's kind of around that era. I believe Naboo is actually a place you can go to in it. Uh, it shows some, some scenes that look like Naboo. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd look into it if it is some sort of open world, rpg sort of thing in star wars yeah maybe maybe i'll pull the trigger on buying it yeah cool yeah and that's my my final banter so we've got three segments today so i guess let's uh let's roll into the first uh real segment here so it's time for video game variety show and with not an excess of creativity here just 2021 in review that's pretty much the the title of all three segments but uh we're going to start with the uh, video games and uh so Leland what video games did you whether or not they were made in 2021 what were some of the new video games you played in 2021 I think only 3 come to mind Escape from Tarkov Hunt Showdown and XCOM 2 I think everything else I played this year I just like went back to like old favorites that I went back to like comfort games that I went back mm-hmm. to really. Those mm-hmm. are the top three that kind of just right away. I, I think of. Yeah. And I've only got three myself. So don't, don't feel embarrassed there. We share the hunt, the hunt, 
<laughs> and uh, the other two that I played was Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I beat Mass Effect 1, started playing Mass Effect 2, um, and also Axis and Allies 1942 Online, which is actually the only game formally released in 2021 that I played. The other two... Uh, actually, no, you know, I think Legendary Edition was released in April, even though it's an older game. So maybe that's two of the three. The Hunt, though, even though you and I and... Ghost Marty and my brother have taken it up. It, it, it was released in 2019. It's not no, not a brand new game. No, no, it's not. I mean, we did, we got a whole segment on it too. Actually, you know, since uh, Resident Evil 8, we're both forgetting about Resident Evil 8. That came out this year. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, man, we are. How are we forgetting <laughs> about Resident Evil 8? I don't know, because like that's a great game. And that's that probably, is a great that's game. like, yeah, I think that's like, may, might be the only like brand spanking new game I played this year. Yeah, and you know what? Even though it was off my list, Resident Evil 8 has to be the highlight for me. Certainly the one I've beaten the most of, one I can recommend the highest and, and watch the most background uh, kind of stuff on. So, yeah, I mean, Resident Evil 8, maybe maybe let's touch on that because that's uh, you know something we both played the hell out of for a few months in the spring. Are you planning to return to it anytime soon, or have you been like played out of it? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, I think I, I mean, I could. I think I would. If I had some downtime, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I guess no. <laughs> I guess no. Yeah, I think it would be a while until I, I played it myself. Actually, I have to toss in Resident Evil 5 to this, even though it's a very old game. I, I played that with my, um, my recent ex. Uh, I think we got through a lot of it, at least like two thirds, three quarters. Um, so that was that was interesting. It was interesting to see how Resident Evil has changed between five to eight, um, because as much as eight is supposedly like an action filled callback to Resident Evil four, and it is, it's a lot less hammy than Resident Evil five was. Resident Evil five has a lot of like hammy, goofy characters. It's like all action, no scares. So it was interesting to see those two kind of contrast back to back. Yeah, Resident Evil 8, uh, I mean, yeah, what more can we say that we haven't already said about it? I think maybe in a couple episodes we spent a lot of time talking about it. Uh, <laughs> great game. Uh, we, and we great game, great game. And, and The Hunt is a great game too. I suck. You guys are so good at it, but um, that's a lot of fun. Hunt's great. Um, I like that. I'm finding I like that style game. Like that, like Escape from Tarkov is a similar style, as far as the the gameplay. Uh, you know, you you launch character into the match. If the character dies, you lose whatever that character had on them, uh, and then you have to kind of start from, from scratch, or with whatever other items you may have in your inventory, on the next match, kind of thing, right? And uh, right. hunt is a hunt's a little different just because your your individual hunter also levels up, which you can give them different abilities, and you know, of which are mostly always short lived in my play experience because it's tough to have a, a string of matches where you're getting out alive, <laughs> where you're extracting mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, but it's it's a difficult game, uh, for sure. Um, I think we still both recommend it if listeners are a fan of battle Royale sort of style games. Um, and if you want to challenge listener for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah so escape from Tarkov XCOM two. That was interesting when you suddenly took that up. One of my favorites. Yeah. Did you ever beat it or did you get stopped? 
Um, I think I'm on the last mission, and I I think I went to it too quickly, and I'm not. Mm. I don't think I'm at a at a, a skill level, or or I haven't. I don't have the squad to do it. Uh, I that game, man. I think there's a pretty high difficulty ceiling for some of the matches, or maybe it's it's a it's more of a skill to difficulty ratio because you can really really fuck yourself hard, right? Like yeah. You have to be incredibly tactical, which I mean that's what the game is, right? It's a it's a it's a tactical maneuvering uh dudes on a map kind of guy, right? Um game. Which I, I, I've I've never really played a game like that before and I really liked it. Like I, I really dug XCOM like I played it for it must have been over two weekends, like I played like forty hours over like two weekends of it. I played it a lot very, very quickly. And um I think I got pretty okay at it. But it's just so easy to make a mistake if you, just the the fog of war. Just if you overextend one of your one of your squad soldier guys, they can get absolutely fucked. They can get just outright yeah. killed if you run them into uh, the the wrong place at the wrong time. It, it can be very punishing. Yeah. What what XCOM two has over XCOM one in difficulty is that it keeps dropping off reinforcements on your mm. missions if mm-hmm. you go too long or at certain points. XCOM 1 does not do that. It's always a set amount of enemies, and you kill them, and you're done. And that is a major, major up to the difficulty level. Plus, I feel like you need to go back and play XCOM 1, Leland. I mean, the interface and the graphics are similar, but you 1 really does lead into 2, and I think you'd understand a lot more of the lore. Plus, like, Bradford, your guy that gives you orders, he's, like, such a badass in two. Like, the guy's, like, scarred with, like, holding, like, knives and shit. But he's, like, just this, like, preppy, young, baby-faced lieutenant in, in XCOM 1. So, yeah, <laughs> like, the change in Bradford is hilarious. Right, like, he's seen some shit by the time number two comes around. He's seen some shit. And so, like, you know, Shen... The woman who's your engineer in XCOM 2, her dad is the engineer in XCOM 1. So there's like all these connections like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. too. Um, so it's, they're, they're both good games. My recommendation is is to play them both. Yeah, you know what? I find sometimes though the reinforcement thing is like like it never really factors in if your positioning is, is good. Because I feel like uh, if you can get you know, proficient enough at the game, by the time reinforcements are coming in, one, either you're in a position to where as soon as they land, they're dead because you just fuck them up because right. you're there to surround. Or you're on your way to the extract and as they're landing, you're like your last, like three dudes are getting out, out of the extract point. Yeah, no, that that that's true. Proper positioning, it's not a big deal. Um, even at the end of the game, the reinforcements are still usually like one guy that can shield plus two like grunts, like absolute grunts that you can take yeah. out. Yeah. So you're right. You're right with proper positioning. I just, I think that factors in though, like you said, yeah, proper positioning. XCOM 2 is much more punishing and much more unforgiving than XCOM 1 is. Hmm. XCOM 1 is a lot more forgiving. It's like if you have decent cover, a lot of the aliens, they're just going to shoot over your head or miss you. Um, They don't throw grenades as much. It's just... uh, I'm not going to call it a cakewalk because it's not, but um, it's definitely an easier game. Yeah, I felt 
like in two, a lot of the time is if you, if you don't have first strike, you're going to, you're going to get hurt. Mm. Uh, you really have to first strike and you really got to keep, you either got to be able to just take the enemy down before they even get a turn or they're going to hurt you. Even if your positioning yeah. is good, because like, I don't know, I don't know exactly how it calculates like cover and the percentages, but it always feels like I'm on the shit end of that percentage stick, uh, <laughs> getting hit and, yeah. and getting like just wrecked, especially later in the game. Um, but I really like, I like the, I like the progression system or I don't know if, the, if you, you would call it the progression system, but like the, the threat bar, right. As it's raising to like the ultimate goal of, of the aliens. Right. And if you do missions in select areas, you can decrease that threat bar. I really like that. I like managing that. There were a couple times where I was fucking around in other places too much. And suddenly I'm like two ticks away from the, the fucking world blowing up or whatever the hell is going to happen. And I'm like, Oh shit, I have to go here. And like, I felt like there was one instance where I wasn't really ready, but I persevered and I still got it. So I don't know. Uh, I really liked it. I'm very surprised at how much I liked XCOM 2. It was, I would yeah. definitely recommend uh, XCOM 2. I mean, and I got it. I got it when I was on sale. I got it for five bucks. Like, what a fucking steal. Whoa. What a that steal. That is a steal. Yeah. That is a steal. Yeah, it's it's a great game, listener. Any If you like tactics at all, turn-based games, um, it's a lot of fun. And it, it's very immersive. I'll, I'll jump in just very quickly, uh, touch on the two games that I play that you didn't. Um, Axis and Allies 1942 Online. Very good to have like an official Axis and Allies Online release. Uh, it's a good game now. It had major game-breaking bugs when it was first released uh, to the point that myself and a lot of other people were complaining to the programmers. It basically would almost always just um, lock up your turn permanently after a few turns. So yeah, game-breaking bug, but they they finished it and it's now it's it's quite a good game. I wish it was... 1940 global but it's not mm. so this is the next best thing mass effect legendary edition uh i was new to the mass effect games i really love the role-playing elements like talking to your people in between missions um just dating somebody too like you can pick someone and try to sweet talk them into a relationship in the game which is a lot of fun and uh yeah i just i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed taking my ship from system to system, exploring in that uh, that car of theirs, which I forget the name already, but it's like a buggy that you can take to the planet. Um, and Mass Effect 2, I need to play it more. It's very different. I'm not going to spoil it because the, the beginning of that game is a massive spoiler, but uh, suffice to say things change big time. And um, I'd like to to hopefully finish that this year. That's That's one of my goals. Yeah, just wanted to touch on those two. Do you want to touch on favorite games? Because that's something that both of us, I guess, have have put in our notes. Because I think we both, for comfort, went back to older games in 2021. Um, what have you been playing, Leland, that are those older favorites? Oh, Factorial. Buddy, come on, you even had to ask. It's Factorial. 100%. Oh, I, I think I played like two months straight. In fact, in the middle of the year, oh man, just so good. So good. And I have been, had the itch to go back lately too. And I've not succumbed to it. I haven't, <laughs> I'm close. <laughs> I'm very close. I, I 
I might have to fire it up pretty soon here. Uh, but man, I just, I can always go back to Factorio. I just don't know. I just, it just tickles me. It just rubs my brain in the right way. And I love it gotta so Gotta keep those trains running, baby. You gotta trains get the trains. Day. The trains are the best fucking part of that game. Oh my God, the train <laughs> system. I mean, you have a network of trains and you got your blueprints for the, you know, roundabouts and crisscross. Oh, it's a thing of fucking glory, man. It's glory. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, just, just to list, I went back to Xenonauts uh, this year, which is basically XCOM, but really old school. Like, not it, it has 3D graphics, but they're way more old school than XCOM 1 or 2. Uh, the the Steam, the ones you can get on Steam that we've talked about. Went back to Papers, Please. Beat that again this year. Oh, short nice. game. FTL. Went back to FTL. Oh, yes. I played some of that this year, too. Oh, All man. Right. We used to, remember we used to do land parties of FTL, even though you can't play multiplayer, oh, yeah. but we would just get together with Dan in the same room and all three of us just firing up FTL. So I good. love that. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Started another Stardew Valley run through. Got pretty far in it. Very Looked nice. A ton of hours there. I haven't played it much recently because there's really nowhere for me to go unless I just want to have a kid in the game. But like my farm's pretty pretty much built. Well, have you done the um, the expansion stuff like the the Parrot Island or the volcano or whatever the other island in Stardew? I I have gone to the Parrot Island. In oh, fact, okay. what you get to do there, which is really cool, is you get to build a whole second farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. You can stay over there, like, overnight. You can build it up with furniture, put a TV in it, um, do all those things. The thing is, you have to worry about your other farm, too. Like, you either have to have your other farm pretty much fully automated, um, or else all your crops are just going to wither and your animals aren't going to be fed. Right. So it's it's kind of difficult to balance both farms. I managed to do so. Because basically, I keep the new farm as my secondary farm. Everything's run by sprinkler systems. I just show up and harvest. I stay overnight there the odd time. See, that's that's the one thing. I mean, hey, I enjoy some Stardew Valley. I can get. I've got. I've been into it and as obsessed as any other Stardew Valley player in my time. But that's always one thing I never understood about that game is like, you can keep adding more. But you can never do all of it. You can never keep up on it. You get to a point where you just, you literally cannot do everything. Right. So is there like, does that leave you unsatisfied? Because I always felt like, okay, I want to do so much stuff, but I don't have the time. But so my complete, the completionist part of, of me is not getting satisfied. So why would I keep doing this? Like I, I can do something else where I, I can be satisfied because I can do everything that the game has to offer. And it's really great, and obviously the the, the development on Stardew from the you know uh, just its history uh, and all the work that was put into it by one man, and the the following that it has is phenomenal, and, and all the stuff that he's done and put out for free, and it's all like to be commended, of course. But it's just like it feels like it's so much. It's too like almost it feels like it's too much, and I yeah. I mean, how do you complain about? having too much of a great game, right? That seems stupid to complain, but it always feels like it's just way too fucking much. Well, for me, Stardew, and I mean, I've done, this is probably like my sixth or fifth playthrough. For me, it's Law of Diminishing Returns. Um, you're always excited when you start a new game. There's so much to do, so much that's open to you. 
to explore, to get. But then you get to a point where it's like you've got most of the best weapons for going into the caves. You've got your farm set up. It's making a lot of money, but you've already bought most of what you can buy with a lot of money. So the game doesn't end. You just, I don't know, I just found out, I, I just walked away from my farms at right. a certain point. There's <laughs> no point in continuing. There's no finality to it. There isn't. The only finality is your mind just gets done with it. And it just moves on to another game and maybe comes back uh, to make a new game later. But yeah, I've never, I've never really with any of my farms been like, I'm done. I've just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, before we move on to the next segment, we do have three, so we can't, can't bang out segments as much as, as normal. But uh, what do you, is there anything you're looking forward to playing in 2022? I honestly, I don't know. I'm not even on, like, there are, I mean, I, I really want to play the next Spider-Man. Right. And I do look forward to getting a PS5, which uh, may happen sometime in the new year. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited about exploring the titles for, for a new console. I, I think once, I know, like, getting a new console is going to inject a bunch of enthusiasm uh, for, for you know new titles and all that stuff but there's just so much to play and there's so much to revisit especially when like you have a launcher like epic games giving weekly free games like multiple games every week or every two weeks like there's such a back catalog of oh it's free why the fuck not download it because it's free i don't have to or you know why not get it i'll add it to my library so i have this library full of games to fucking get through it's I'll never play. I'll never play the majority of them, obviously. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know what it is. I'm not up or into it. I mean, obviously, the next God of War, God of War Ragnarok, is going to be fucking phenomenal, and I am like already hard thinking about it. So what more <laughs> do I need? If I could only play one new game next year, God of War Ragnarok would be it. I would be completely satisfied. I only need to have yeah. the one game for my PS5, and I'd be completely satisfied. <laughs> System seller, at least for Leland. Yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, on my end, I, I would like to burn through some of my back catalog. There's a number of games that I own, both hard copy and on Steam, that I really haven't played through. What exactly those games are remains to be seen. I mean, I know them. I just don't know which one I'm actually going to uh, commit to. But I will say the big game that I want to get and play and beat in 2022 is Half-Life Alex. Um, mm. I have a brand new, very powerful gaming laptop um, that can easily handle VR. And I remember playing Half-Life Alex at Ghost Marty's and it was like the coolest thing. And so I want to want to do that myself. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a big one for me. And then I'm sure there's going to be other smaller ones that I... I knock off um, older games and I don't want to go back to as many games as 2021. I think that's nice to have some old time comfort food, but then I think you at some point need to kind of move on and spread your wings a bit. So yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, let's uh, hit up the next section there. All right. That means we're moving on to crazy about cardboard. A, uh, <laughs> a segment that we've uh, mentioned before is admittedly kind of 
been left in the dust a little bit, uh, uh, you know, as the nature of, of the amount of time we have to get together and the amount of uh, ability in which we physically can get together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Still, for the most part, continuing, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so you and I didn't play many games together, but I played quite a few games with Emma when I, I visited her in the summer and she was here uh, in the fall. And again, as I mentioned before, that's where a lot of my game plays and like my game of 2021 is Castles of Burgundy. And now that game is not by any means new <laughs> or even in the last five years. Uh, but it's a great game. Uh, it's a great classic game. And Emma and I, it's like our game now. We, we played the shit out of it. I routinely win. I She's never won. I If you ask her, obviously, she'll say something different. But she loses every single time we play by a landslide, and it's very satisfying beating her. <laughs> awesome. No, that's that's great, and I think that's good that you you've got those memories of 2021 that are positive for board games. Um, certainly, it was positive that you finally got to meet Emma, have her come out. You went there, and that you guys were able to kind of explore this passion uh, in person. Um, yeah. For me, 2021 was weird because I barely played any board games unless it was online a little bit, but it was a year of acquiring board games. Um, so my Kickstarters for both Battletech and Evil Dead 2 arrived during 2021. Haven't yet played them or even really opened them, um, but they exist and they're board games I now own. Um, I remember in my... My apartment has a little spot in the laundry room for free stuff. And I've so far collected three board games from there. Two used ones in 2020, but also a sealed copy of Catan in 2021. It was just sitting there, factory sealed Catan. So I'm like, hey. okay, I'll play this. <laughs> um, but then for my birthday present, I mean, I, it sucks because it's now back in print for $80. It's going to start shipping next February, but... I blew like 350 bucks on Stardew Valley used to get that as a board game. Yeah. Um, we still haven't played it together. I really want to, given the significance of that game, uh, to based on a game that you, myself, Ghost Marty, my brother played the heck out of. Um, so I do want to play it. But yeah, it really was a year of obtaining board games, but not playing them from my perspective. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't pick up a single new game this year, like new to the, new to my collection this year at all. Um, yeah, it's mostly just kind of revisiting. I mean, I just I just love Castles of Burgundy so much, and a lot of people do. Like it's a it's a it's a favorite for a lot of not even veteran game players, and I think it's it's very easy to pick up. Like the rules are not that difficult. You roll some dice, and you can take corresponding actions and depending on the pit value of which you rolled on your turn. But it's just the intricacies of the way those actions can compound and the different types of tiles that you collect and fill in your little player board. I don't know. The game is, I mean, I've always enjoyed that game. One, because, like, it was a game that my step my my uh, stepmom, who was passed, passed away last December, so, like, I'm coming up on the year, one-year anniversary of her, her dying. Um, she and I played that a bunch together, like, one of the first things Emma and I did when I went out there to the Netherlands and uh, to Utrecht, we went to a, a board game shop called Subcultures, and uh, very 
pretty prolific, especially, you know, obviously if you live in the area, like, you know, and you've been to subcultures, very cool store, like, um, very kind of, I don't know, kitschy is the word, you know, very kitschy inside, like, uh, just the way it's organized. The, the staffs are very nice, huge selection, like tons of games. It was just so nice to go in there and just wander around in it. Like I haven't been into a board game store in like two years, right? Like. And Emma, so that's where Emma picked up her copy of it, which was the one that we played, like, every day that I was out there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I don't feel, when I first got into the hobby, like, my collection is pretty large, but it is by no means curated. So it is a direct, you know, stereotypical first into a hobby, the board game hobby, specifically, obviously, in this case, but, like, that could be said for every hobby, dive headfirst get swoop and, and swipe up every single thing you can find right just get your hands on every bit of that that hobby and, the, and the, that type of culture right that you were submersing yourself into so like i love every game in my collection and i don't think i would get rid of any of them but like they're not all stellar games right like so i, I yeah I, I don't know i just like the now though and where i am is I don't need the cult of the new bullshit. I don't really care about what is new and what is the hotness like I used to. Just because I have these games now that I've formed memories and emotional attachments with the people that I played them with that transcend the games themselves, right? It, or it transcends the game itself. So the game is, while it used to be the, the forefront for me, it's now the background um, which I think really probably should have been the way it maybe was at the beginning, right? Like, cause we always say that the games are about the people that you play them with, but I think they can, you know, you, de you develop so much more to them and you can attach so many more significant things to them just mm -hmm. as a result of them being this social lubricant really. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an interesting topic of, of games as a social lubricant and it <laughs> Usually we think of alcohol as a social lubricant, right. but uh, <laughs> games do do that. And you've done that with our group of friends. I mean, we're all friends, but uh, there's certain people we see less than of others. And I remember times at Ghost Marty's where the conversation's kind of dragging and you're like, you know, hey, let's play a game. And you've got your your literal sack of games that you brought over. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it immediately gets things going. It, it makes people happy. Like you said, social social lubricant. Um, you know, my single best memory of board games in 2021 is the night I went to your place with Emma. And she was there. And we played Splendor. And then you give me Splendor because you have another copy. And then you say, do you want to play some Magic? And I'm like, fuck yes. <laughs> and it was awesome to just play Magic. It had been like it a was year great. and a half or so since we played yeah, Magic. Man, I want to so play good. it again. I want to yeah, dig up absolutely. my decks and play more Magic. Um you know, this is one of my hopes. I've got this written in my notes is I don't want 2021 as it was with board games for me, collecting but not playing. I want to play more games with you in 2022. You know, fuck the pandemic at this point. You live five minutes away. Let's play some <laughs> games, some one-on-ones, some co-ops. Let's see if Marty or, or or my brother want to be involved. If they don't, we'll play anyways. We got to we'll play. We, gotta, we still have to play Star Wars Rebellion. I've been sitting on that oh, for, yeah. for like two years. We got to fucking get that to the table. Um, man, we got to, we got, let's get, 
uh, Twilight Struggle going again. Let's get a game of Twilight Struggle. Yes. Oh, oh so yes. Good. Yeah, yeah, so good. Absolutely, Twilight Struggle. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna load that onto my Steam right after. Oh yeah, I've got yeah, that yeah. There, ready to go. Because uh, Twilight Struggle is like, it's like the one born game. I think you and I need to learn on Steam before we play in person. The rules are pretty <laughs> opaque, and I just feel like we do shit that's wrong. But there's a there's a lot of edge case stuff right like just the way the the cards interact um i think that's kind of a thing that happens a lot in like uh card driven games there's just so many different combinations and then it's like well wait a second what what it, where's the stack we need an mtg stack here of, of how things resolve kind of thing um yeah i think every time we played that game in person we've played it incorrectly done something wrong but i i don't think it's hindered it never hindered my enjoyment of it that's that's for sure yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that. Um, it, it's still super, super fun. So, um, but yeah, it we, we got to roll that out. And I think that's going to enliven the crazy about cardboard section when we review Rebellion, when we talk about these other games, you know, that we're playing, you know, new magic decks we're putting together, things like that. I think maybe that's probably the main reason the segment has suffered. We just have been playing the games. Yeah. Yeah, you to play totally. the game. I really, really want to try BattleTech. Oh, so do I, man. And I have it, so there's really no excuse. Um, I don't. I guess you're probably not taking any time off during the holidays, but if you are, I'm taking time off before Christmas. So, um, be be great to play sometime. We'll we'll find some days to play. Yeah, for sure. Boxing Day or the like or something like that. So, um, yeah, and I mean, that really answers the question of what I'm hoping to do in 2022 when it comes to board games. Um, how about yourself? Well, I hope to be able to get out to Origins. I hope to be able to actually meet the members of the Incurable Party and obviously see Emma again very soon, play more games with her and them and you and the rest of Tia. And yeah, just, I want to feel good again. <laughs> I want to feel happy again. <laughs> Don't worry, Leland. You make me happy. <laughs> playing magic with you. Playing, <laughs> listener, there is no experience like playing um, magic with Leland, but using his own decks against him because he can't lose. Leland, if you know his personality, he's happy because his deck wins no matter what happens. He's happy like seeing... His deck work for me beating him <laughs> or his own deck beating me. He's still happy. Yeah, it's like you, you're you living vicariously through your child, right? You're seeing them grow up and you're seeing them flourish. A, a thing that you've built, a person that you've raised. And they're, they are who they are and they are winning the way they are because of you. You, this is your victory yeah, and not your theirs. Baby. It's yours. <laughs> That's right. I'm just like the puppet master. Oh, that, strings, that was so. <laughs> that was a good night though, because like Emma was tired, so she like sat on the couch knitting, and then I put out the twelve decks that I always have built, and she just came over and randomly picked one, picked them out for each of us, and those that's what we played. Like that was so good. It's it so good. We just needed a randomizer like her. You know what? It, you know what? It, it reminded me. Have you ever? Uh, did you ever watch Day Nine playing MTG with like his friends? It was like a, I think it was on Geek and Sundry or something on YouTube. But he had this color wheel and you would you would literally just spin this wheel and it had a bunch of different color variations. And that's the color deck 
or the two color or the three color deck that you would play if whatever you spun on the wheel is the random deck that you would get that their production team happened to have built or whatever. Like that's kind of what it reminded me of. And I always like that. I always love the randomness of it because I, I mean, like I have, <laughs> I always have 12. I literally always have 12 decks built at any time. I love being able to have a selection and just grabbing anything because I don't really care what I play. I just like to play. Yeah. 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 No, it, it's awesome. All your decks are a lot of fun. I'll say that they're, none of them are, kinchy stupid decks you know if anything if anybody plays annoying decks to play against it would be me with like land destruction and like 12 <laughs> kill spells per deck everything else uh, it's just... I, I mean <laughs> i've had to play kill spells because of you i never yeah. used to play them because i never i always wanted to put in other cool stuff that i could do i don't want to take away from you i would just want to do stuff too <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah that makes me feel bad but oh well um but yeah BattleTech. we'll we'll do we'll do battle tech some of those custom cards that high level patreon backers threw in are insane so i can't wait to see how those <laughs> battles go like the woman who's a psychologist and her pilot just wants to help both sides heal through therapy for warfare i mean it's admirable Guy who made his two baby twins pilots, like actual babies, that somehow pilot a mech. <laughs> like it was it was really weird, some of the custom pilots that there are in that game. People could submit whatever they wanted. So <laughs> But yeah, I mean I guess that's there's not much to say about crazy about cardboard, so I guess we can move it on. Yeah. All right, well, it's time for the final segment, which is movie musing which again very creatively is 2021 in review so what what movies what tv shows did uh did we watch in 2021 um regardless of whether or not they actually came out in 2021 it's just what was our 2021 um so leland uh maybe lead us off with a few of the tv shows that you got into this year yeah i mean really the 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 main one um comes into mind that i'm getting back into i've actually watched i think i watched all of it but uh the series bones uh with mm. uh, emily de chanel and, and david boreanis and i remember so when i was a kid when this was on like because it it came out i think the first it aired in like early 2000s right i remember being in high school and my mom used to watch the show all the time so I had like memories of it like being on in the background, but never really like watching it myself. And then, you know, uh, 2012, 2014-ish, like watching whatever there was available of it. And when Emma was here, we were watching it on Disney+. Plus. So now again, like, like she and I are like kind of watching, we're both watching it now. And this is like one of our shows that we watch about and like shit on it <laughs> together, right? Um, right. Even though it's a, it's actually like, it's a, it's a pretty phenomenal show actually like it's really really good even the filler episodes are interesting um i mean i don't know if you don't like david morianis i don't know why or who you do like because he's a fucking gem (laughs) and a fucking adonis uh (laughs) it's a great it's a great show if you haven't watched it like watch it there's like i think there's 12 seasons of it i'm in like the end no i'm in the beginning of season 11 so yeah, I don't know. It's great. 
It's really good. And then another one actually that I just finished watching that I actually I would love to bitch about is Midnight Mass on mm. uh, on Netflix, the third in kind of this this I don't know what you would call it uh, if you would call it like an anthology series of um you know the haunting um on Hill Haunting of Hill House and then the Bly Manor or whatever their full titles are, uh, who knows. It was it was stupid. <laughs> it was by far the worst of the three. It was it was dumb. Oh boy. I, I can say it was stupid, yeah. You know what's interesting, Leland? So you came up the other day. Um I got a teeth cleaning at my dentist and there was a new hygienist there who really wanted to talk uh movies and TV. And I brought you up because her and I were both like, Yeah, I've just seen so many like crappy shows that annoy me and we and I stopped watching them. And her and I were the same, and I'm like but I know a man, and this man <laughs> will finish anything. This man will loathe the television show, but he will watch all 14 seasons to conclusion. <laughs> and she was like, I don't know how he does it. He must be a superhero. And I'm like, in a way, ma'am. In a way. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not the podcast host we deserve, but he's the one we need right now. <laughs> <laughs> Martha! <laughs> Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it was just hilarious how that came up but you're right mm. it's I, I mean i guess she there she like gray's anatomy i'm like yeah how many seasons are there of that show like five she's like 16 I'm like, oh that's actually one that emma's been watching i i would probably watch it with her but i don't think i would watch it on my own <laughs> no dude there, 16 they seasons continue there's they are keep like that show is the seventeenth season just came out or something. Like it's continuing. What? It's, it's still not on. Over. It's still going. That How? show is still that going. Show's, <laughs> that show's been on like longer than half our lives. Yes, literally. I know, it's it's bonkers. I can't like it's nuts. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, for me this year, uh, really there was only one movie that that was a big deal that I saw that was Dune. Um, I'm sure I saw other new movies, but can't really remember them and none in the theaters dune was the one and only movie i saw in a theater in 2021 i'm not going to harp on that listener because it it did totally deliver um as far as i was concerned so that's definitely a high point uh tv shows what i noticed is a lot of it was front loaded to the beginning of the year so finishing off mandalorian uh, uh cobra kai season three um i think you should leave season two i finished that in the spring um, I started The Expanse and watched season one of that. That was a really good show. I want to continue that. I was watching it with a group, and that group kind of broke apart because <laughs> my ex was in that group, and she kind of bro- broke us apart. So I, oh. I, I'm hoping to pick it up with a few other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the show, you know what? The show I really got into in 2021 or back into is Unsolved Mysteries. And I've always liked oh, that show. Now, nice. ne- now, Netflix came out with new Unsolved Mysteries, and I watched like three of the six. I still got a few more to go. But they inspired me to go back on Amazon Prime, who has all of the old back episodes, and watch them. And I, like, I've been spending a lot of time with that. I think I'm on episode 21 of season seven. Like, I've watched a lot of Unsolved Mysteries yeah. this year. <laughs> and what I like, though, is Amazon has updated them all so that even if, something was discovered in say like 2015 or something like that. Um, it, it comes up as like a, a footnote 
at the end of the segment that, you know, this mystery was solved. And oh, it's like really that. good. Like, even though the show is Unsolved Mysteries, I still like to know, like, did this person find their long lost love or parent or did this murderer get caught or something like that? And it it's good that they updated it and they updated it with the original graphics as well. So it doesn't seem out of place, which I think is really good. Nice. And um, yeah, so I mean, I'm probably going to watch more Unsolved Mysteries once we're done recording tonight. Um, so yeah, that that was really my my 2021 as far as shows that I watch. Oh, the other thing, I mean, this is not really geekish, I guess. Um, I spent a lot of money because they're expensive. I spent a lot of money to collect all the 30 for 30 ESPN sports documentaries. I'm really into sports. Leland is not. These documentaries are fantastic. They're very expensive. Probably like, I think I have three box sets and they're probably like 110 bucks per box set. Yeah. But they're great. And I've watched most of them, probably like 90%. There's maybe like three or four out of all three box sets I haven't watched yet. And I keep keep coming back to them. So they, they've got some lasting uh, uh, potential there. So one of those is like, was the inspiration for The Last Dance, right? the michael jordan yeah so yep. because if if those are anything like that i would ha- like 100 percent watch them even though i'm not all like that huge industry yeah like I, I i still find it super interesting even if i'm not in it because i think they they do, at least in the last the case of the last dance they did a good job of like catering to the layman you, yeah. you didn't. You don't have to know everything, or you don't have to be a fucking sports statistician, statistician to know what <laughs> is going on in them because they, they, you know, it, it needs to be as as wide ranging as possible. Like a casual viewer needs to sit down and watch it and enjoy it. Well, it's like when you read the synopsis, you don't know why it would be interesting. Like my favorite of all of them is called Elway to Marino. I probably watch that twice a year. It's about the 1984 football NFL draft that changed everything for the NFL landscape. And it goes through every single pick, trades, almost trade. And you don't know why. Like, I have no emotional connection to the 1984 football draft or really 1984 football. But it's such an engaging story. It's so dramatic and so well done that you're interested. So what I'm probably going to do, Leland, is um, drop you off a couple because I own some as singles that are also part of the box sets. And yeah, it, it, what they were done by the save the last dance crew that I believe save the last dance was supposed to originally be one of these shows, but then they had too much footage. So they made it into a whole uh, mini series, but yes, it's them that made it. And there's one called Jordan riding the bus. That's about the time when he went into uh, minor league baseball or I think cool. he made it to the major leagues for a little bit. He wasn't great, but yeah. <laughs> that one's really good. There's the one about the people that made fantasy sports. That was really interesting because they're just like a bunch of publishers for small scale New York newspapers. They just sat around. They're like, why can't we turn these numbers into a game? And it's like, okay. And they did. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of really good ones. Oh, there's also one about... You probably don't know this story, Leland, but like in the 1990s, a guy with no money was able to buy the New York Islanders hockey team just through a bunch of bullshit, like fake bank drafts and things like that. And 
he's interviewed in the show. He's like, yeah, I, uh, I had no money, but, uh, Hey, I had like a fake bank draft. So I gave it to Gary Bettman and I bought myself a hockey team. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's like, it goes through how, like he tried to hold on to the team. Like he was supposed to pay his, like, uh, one of his fees. And like, he wrote his zeros by, by accident as like eights and then left out a zero in some commas. So he's like, Oh, 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 next week, next week, I'll, I'll write it correctly. Wow. You're like, this dude bought a hockey team with no money. <laughs> no money. And he's like dropping pucks at center ice, living in the owner's box. Oh, that's and amazing. It's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a hilarious story. So. You know, that's like just shit you just, it's impossible to have to get away with now. Like that was just like, you're just able to do that stuff. You know, like know. shit like that. Like even like in the 70s and 80s when like, all these unsolved mysteries and like these people like are that are able to just like disappear like even of their own you know volition like they they just walk away from their life like you can't do that anymore how do you do no that you can't kind of stuff right unsolved mysteries is a great poll because i agree like that's a that's an awesome show and what i really like about unsolved mysteries is that it's not always just a murder right it's just literally no. a mystery yeah, some of them honestly bring, make me cry. The the ones where like you reunite two brothers and sisters that were torn apart because during the Great Depression their parents had no money, so like the church and the state took two of them each and they film their actual meetups. I guess it's kind of staged, but it's staged in a way that's authentic. It's like, yeah, the camera's there when they open the door and see each other for the first time in 40 years. But that, that right. reaction is still authentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are also Unsolved Mysteries. One of the most notable things about the entire series is that Matthew McConaughey hey, hey, had his first ever, like, um, he, he's in an episode as a guy that gets shot. And he's so young. <laughs> he's like, I think he's supposed to be like 18 in it. But it, it's, it's Matthew McConaughey. The guy's like big shit nowadays. And there he is like in a reenactment. so it's kind of cool to see him get his start that's cool yeah um looking to 2022 i've really only got two two things that i'm looking forward to is actual new releases that are dropping cobra kai season four which i know you'll watch because yeah it's cobra kai but of course will you be watching book book of boba fett which is my oh yeah yeah definitely Okay, great. Yeah, for sure. And doesn't uh, Mando Season 3 come out pretty soon too, or is out by the time this episode releases? I think Mando Season 3 is later next year, to be honest. Oh, I thought it was like end of December. I don't know why I had that in my mind then. Uh, Mandalorian. You know what already would have released is Spider-Man No Way Home. That I'm really excited for. That comes out next Friday. Oh, 2022, okay. Yeah, I just you know, let me ask you, what are your feelings these days on Marvel? Because another thing that was big, like, was all the Marvel shows on Disney Plus, right? And Em and I watched again when we watched a lot of them together, um, like Loki and the What If series, and we just actually finished the first episode of Hawkeye um, earlier today. They're enjoyable, but like, they don't get me jazzed. Um, I don't really give a fuck about Phase Four, other than Spider Man No Way Home. That that's a very good question. Now you have to understand, I'm a Marvel fan, but a little bit on the casual side. I don't read the comics. Um, I I am marveled out because Avengers and especially Infinity War and Endgame were so big, were so epic, were so emotional 
like with Robert Downey Jr. dying um, in it, that everything else to me just doesn't match up. Everything else to me doesn't excite after that. Like, you, you can't have that big of a spectacle and then suddenly it's like phase four with a lot of people in shows I don't even really know as a somewhat right. casual fan. So I, I'm just not excited. I haven't watched them. Yeah. I mean, there isn't a, like I say, other than No Way Home, there isn't a single pro And like, that's barely MCU. Like that's right. right. Like I'm not, barely. I don't give a, I don't fucking, I don't give a fuck about the next Doctor Strange. I mean, even if it is like, I'm supposed to be more of a horror movie. I don't fucking like Doctor Strange. I don't like Benedict Cumberbatch. Who the fuck cares? I don't even know what else is supposed to come out. Uh, the Eternals just came out. Who fucking cares? Who fucking cares? That movie looks fucking atrocious. And apparently oh, yeah. it is as bad as it looks. Uh, I just don't give a shit, man. Like, who no, fucking I, cares now? I, You know what? I was being very polite. You're basically articulating <laughs> how I feel inside. Who fucking cares? Who fucking cares? The only superhero movie I'm legitimately looking forward to in 2022 is The Batman with Pattinson. Something tells me he's going to nail it. I just feel it intuitively. I've seen that one trailer. Colin Farrell is the Penguin, which is insane because it it looks nothing or sounds nothing like Colin Farrell. It was like, and it also is like, Colin Farrell, where the fuck have you been since 2010? (laughs) <laughs> like, right? Yeah, what it's like the doing, guy disappeared dude? off the face of the earth. He used <laughs> right? to be super famous. And yeah. I just, I didn't even notice he was gone, but I noticed that he's reappeared. <laughs> and so, but you know what though? Ever since I saw Pattinson in the lighthouse, where he had to go face to face with Defoe, who for us is like the ultimate, like Defoe yeah. is the shit. And he held himself, he held his own in a very complicated role that required a lot of acting pure drama pure acting now like i'm on board like if pattinson's doing this i'm gonna give it a good shot yeah no i i i i feel the same way i think it i think it's gonna be really good uh i'm trying to temper those expectations obviously but for at this point i feel like at this point for them to you know quote unquote take the risk whether you know whether your opinion of it being a risk to do another Batman movie. I mean, that's obviously debatable because I think any Batman movie at this point is going to make money. Like they're going to make their money back, even if it's a shit movie. Right. And I bet you if they wanted to do a sequel to it, they would, and it would still make money. Even if the first one was shit, just because it has Batman's name on it. Like, but you know, their, their casting has actually been good. Like we, I remember us on this podcast, particularly, I think you and Marty, freaking out over Batfleck. Batfleck ended up being really good. He wasn't, he actually didn't do a lot in the grand (laughs) scheme of things, but what he did do, he was fine. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, I mean, that was another great thing this year was the Snyder Cut of Justice League too. I I really liked it. I really liked it. And uh, I think, I mean, we we talked, again, we did it, we talked about it in a a past episode, but I do think it's going to, be the start of a of a a good trend. We're going to I think we're going to see a lot more director's cuts, long form director's cuts come out in whatever version that they is whether or not it is on like HBO Max or or some other streaming service in yeah. chunks or or whatever it is. I really think it's going to become a thing. 
I mean, we yeah. you've already you mentioned when we were talking about Dune, how much uh, there is shot of Dune, an extended version of Dune is is the first part is a, an entire possibility, right? So, I think yeah. it's going to be a thing. I think it's going to be very popular with a lot of fans, and I don't know how much of an influence it'll actually have on future projects as far as like studio interference whereas if these on these director's cuts become more and more popular and like become you know in fans eyes the definitive the definitive versions of these movies i mean how much impact do you think that would that could possibly have for future projects i mean i think it could have a lot like i had a very unique experience in watching um justice league schneider's cut and the original cut actually second, but only spaced out between like sleeping six hours. So they were both really fresh and the, the, the difference in quality is insane. I could not, I barely could stand the original cut, the Whedon cut of Justice League. It was so dumb and not fun and not great in comparison to Snyder who made a fantastic movie. Like, Schneider's cut is great. I'm never going to ever watch the original cut again, most likely. Right. Um, my preference would be if studios just let directors make what they want to make the first time, but they try to force them into these like less than three hour theater segments. And so you're right about Dune. Jason Momoa says there's a four hour cut that's fantastic that he wants released. Um, and, and Jason Momoa was a great part of that movie, by the way. I mean, Dune is already fantastic, but yeah, I would have loved to see more time with the Atreides actually mining on Arrakis before things turn to shit, more character building moments. Um, I, I think there's a lot there that's fantastic. Uh, my worry is that studios who always see money will be like, okay, great, we can release the director's cut always after the original cut, so we're going to make mu- we're going to double dip, basically. Right. Right. But what I want is what I want is the boldness to say no. This is a four-hour-long theater movie. This is the director's cut. This is what the director wanted. Yeah, it's four hours. You know what? Maybe we'll do something crazy, which is what they did in the 1920s and 30s, and have an intermission. What a crazy idea! That's like a hundred years old, and actually show the movie that was meant to be made. Well. What do you think about like a uh, Matrix Reloaded Revolutions thing where they're split and released, you know, two parts of this movie released like six months apart theatrically? Um, I didn't actually mind that at the time. I mean, that's so, this is dates myself, but I was basically becoming an adult when those two were released. I like that. I, I did like that, that, that there was a, a very short break between the two. Um, I like those a lot. It's actually interesting to see where this matrix goes. I've heard this matrix is supposed to kickstart a trilogy that resurrections is a one-off. Oh yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The, the thing I'm most, it's, it's hope against hope, but, um, watch Mojo, which we both watch, uh, watch Mojo's top 10 lists and stuff like that. They suggested, and I think this would be absolutely awesome that John Wick is (laughs) <laughs> who Neo is in the Matrix. Right. When he doesn't remember that he's Neo. It makes so much sense. It makes all sorts of sense. Why he can fight so good. Why he has gun gun foo. Right. I, I think that would be the coolest retcon ever, but I mean, it, maybe I'm a Yeah, that would be rad as hell because the John Wick 
trilogy is 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 a good trilogy, even though John Wick three sucks. The first two are great movies, and like three is a, is a watchable movie. It just is nowhere near as good as the first two. So take that into you know consideration when I say John John Wick three sucks. Um, yeah, that would be that would be cool. And you know the thing is though about like Reload and Revolutions, like very clearly, yes, that was the plan. Obviously, that was the release schedule. But both of those movies started and finished with some type of finality. And yes, there was, you know, you, you are cliffhanger to the end of reloaded because it's supposed to, and it's meant to lead directly into revolutions, but there's still two distinct movies. Whereas if you had a four hour long cut and you just cut it at the two at the two hour mark, that doesn't always work, right? Like no. that doesn't leave much of a satisfying conclusion or potentially not even much of a cliffhanger for the next installment coming out in six months. Well, well that's Dune by the way. So, so regardless of the potential four-hour cut of the first part of Dune, Dune is very truncated. Have you seen it or no? No, no, not yet. It's literally just cut off. It's like, boom, at the end of whatever two-hour, 45 minutes that it is. And it goes, you know, I, I don't think it even says Dune 2. It just goes to credits because th that they're doing exactly what you're saying with it. Right, right, right. No, I don't like that. Because, okay, so Dune 2 has been officially greenlit because it barely made enough money to get greenlit. But if it hadn't been, I would literally be watching an incomplete movie. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, this is the problem with Hollywood is that now because of these huge, huge box office numbers that the Marvels and the DC some of the DC movies gross, it literally ruins it for every other fucking company. I was watching... A YouTube video, and I haven't watched all of it. It's a three-hour. It's a three-hour video. The title is "In Defense of Nicolas Cage," and the first part wow. of it, yeah, the first part of it is basically uh, this. The man, I forget what channels, and I really should have had this prepared. But the, they're talking about how, in like the '90s, uh, like Nicholas before Nicolas Cage was a meme, was memefied. How prolific his career was and all these these directors that he you know worked with Scorsese he won an Oscar he's worked with Lin, like this list of directors that like phenomenal directors that he's he's worked with giving these wide-ranging performances and how how though the numbers that those movies did at the time like uh box office numbers those were great numbers and he was pulling in fantastic numbers but now those are paltry numbers. When you're thinking of upwards of a half a million to a billion dollars, it's set this ridiculous expectation for every other film, regardless of what genre or even regardless of the budget. I mean, I, I it's just, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's in, I think it's inflated budgetary costs for films too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree with you, Leland. By the way, I'm very disappointed that you have a three-hour documentary called In Defense of Nicolas Cage, and you have not shared that with me. <laughs> this must be rectified once we are done uh, recording, because I absolutely will watch that this week. Nick Cage, I'm I'm into him almost as much as you are. But, you know, you're... Oh, I don't want to get into a Nick Cage tangent. I so could. <laughs> okay, In Defense of Nicolas Cage, by the channel In Praise of Shadows. <laughs> Praise of Shadows, okay. Okay, that that's awesome. Three hours and fourteen seconds. Could have done double for Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs>
he's he's one of the most fascinating actors i think out there yeah and you know it's funny like he has a pretty i think a pretty healthy look like outlook on it all too like when he is asked about it he'll say like you know along the lines and obviously intense paraphrasing here but like it wouldn't make any sense for me to rebel against it like what like it is what it is and in a way it's flattering but there's also so much more to what the work is and the performances I give. I mean, Cages has been one of the the kind of front leading actors of doing the lower budget and like mm-hmm. uh, popularizing and normalizing, I guess, for lack of a better word, direct to like video or direct to streaming yeah. movies kind of stuff, right? Like that that's kind of what, that's his jam these days. And that's not to say, and I guess it's a point to be like, well, just because you're you're getting put right out to direct a video doesn't mean you have to have be in a shitty movie kind of thing yeah yeah no i i think that's great that he's he's in on that and and for the most part he's still doing great work i really loved him in that movie what's it called like the the colors of science yeah, color out of space or whatever that hp lovecraft one yeah he was so good in that yeah and, and so like his skills still have a lot of potency um, but you're right. He's he's just trying to normalize uh, this kind of direct to streaming sort of thing, which is, I think, new to a lot of us. And so maybe he's breaking through some stigmas there um, because it's not like he's washed up like Steven Seagal doing like Sniper for Mercy or whatever his <laughs> direct to video stuff is. It's like Nick is still making legitimate movies. That are right, but Steven Seagal never made good movies. Nicolas Cage has made a ton of good movies. I guess he didn't. You know, Steven Seagal, I always thought you could make like a very easy, like Q basic program to generate names for him in his movies and also names. Yeah, three letters. They has got three three letters. Three words. Well, three words. (laughs) Three sorry, three words. Yeah, yeah, three words. Three words. (laughs) And it's like an item of and and then something yeah, an article <laughs> exactly and then <laughs> and then he is like name of his character has to have like two first names and that's the only <laughs> generator that you need to have it's like it's like, like hank lance leonard hank sam lance. Hank lance. <laughs> leonard sam is an unemployed <laughs> oil worker slash male escort who is armed to the teeth in the small alaskan town of fuckaluck when <laughs> and it's like just like when a team of russian special forces takes it over to make a radar array that seems the most students of god thing ever yeah, really it does, a radar it? a giant it radar really does. and so franklin <laughs> sam or whoever he is has to get his guns um and and fight to fight the the Russians. And it's called like I don't know. Enemies overhead. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy like pep, like punches these out so often. That movie's probably already made. I mean, he's always been a meme, right? Totally. Totally. But like so has um oh my god, Chuck Norris, right? Chuck Norris has been I mean again in a more positive way right because it's always like oh chuck norris is so badass you compare him to some other badass thing and chuck norris is more badass than this badass this first badass thing 
Yeah, and Chuck Norris has actually not been that badass, of course. I, I don't know if this I goes without saying. Yeah. But that that's just a meme. His stint on Walker, Texas Ranger. I mean, that can't be discounted. <laughs> no. No, of course not. Did you? Okay. <laughs> well, we're, just, we're super we're tangent, tangent, but... The one, the I mean, the only I've never seen an episode of Walker Texas Ranger. The only thing that I know about it is that shtick that Conan O'Brien had, where he would he would pull a lever and it would just show a an out of context clip from Walker Texas Ranger of a kid like on a ladder falling off of it or or some <laughs> stupid thing like and the kid like screaming and like jumping or or falling and I don't it's just so stupid. <laughs> I don't remember that from Conan. Oh god, that was like a that was like a mid two thousands or early two thousands Conan, like late night with Conan. Oh man, yeah. I feel bad that I missed that because I've seen so many of Conan's biggest moments live, or at least the first airing. And uh, no, I haven't seen that. I, I've seen when Tom Hanks declared him Coco, and that became his brand new. Oh, horror. I watched yeah, that. Yeah, Team live. Coco. Team Coco. I saw. His famous uh, sending Triumph, the insult comic dog, to Phantom Menace premiere. <laughs> yeah. That's that still one of the best moments. <laughs> Which one of these buttons caused your mother to pick you up? <laughs> <laughs> that fucking dog is so stupid. <laughs> the dog was stupid. The dog got everywhere. There was like a John Bon Jovi concert in front of like a million people, and Triumph was on stage. He's like, you got to hold on till I stoop you too much. <laughs> He's like on stage with a microphone. And you know, like the guy that puppets him is like hidden really yeah, low. Exactly. I want to know who, who's that puppet master? Who is the, the, I know him. His name is Robert Smigel. He did a lot of the animation for uh, SNL. Like the ambiguously okay. gay duo. He, he did oh, the yeah. animation. <laughs> Robert Smigel. And you, you'll see him, there's like certain times, because I've got the best of Triumph 1 and 2 on DVD, like times where like he's barely hidden away, he's got his curly yeah. hair, you can hear him laughing, puppeting <laughs> the damn dog. But, uh, oh, <laughs> hilarious, man. We've digressed too much. 2020, ah, well, 2020 whatever. is digression. Yeah. I don't know, do you have any final thoughts, or, or are you good to go? Um, I don't think so. I don't, I don't know how I feel about well, it's always like, again, it, stupidly, it feels like not giving a fuck about Marvel properties means you don't give a fuck about movies or going to the theater anymore. Just because of how prevalent that universe and those films have been for the last decade, right? Right. But, I mean, that's 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 dumb. And especially when you pair that with DC and it just comes in, it just goes back to how popular superhero movies in general are now. It's, I, I'm just fatigued on it all, and I, I want something different. And, you know, I really want to see Dune. I feel like Dune is maybe this, this different thing that could energize me. Um, maybe, like, going for a, a movie theater experience. Because I've been down on the movie theater in general for a long time. A very, very long time. And I know we've said that we're going to go see Matrix Resurrection in theater. Yes. I'd love to go see yes. that, like, opening night. I'm committed Absolutely. to that. Yeah, for sure. I really want to see No Way Home. It comes out like next week from when we're recording or in like four or five days, I think. I think it's like the 16th or 17th of December. All right, let's uh, let's let's do the show. show stuff. Okay, our website, ttpopcast.com. Uh, Instagram, ttpopcast. And Facebook, the T-Hud Popcast. 
that's show notes are there. Yeah, written some written stuff. I mean, that's that's it. Uh, I'm I've been Leland Steele, and I will continue to be Leland Steele come 2022. And I've been Moby, and God willing, I'll still be Moby come 2022. <laughs> Just happier, Moby. So, what what can I say? Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye bye.